I've spent the last 12 years trying to find the ultimate model to run a chiropractic business, and I think I discovered it. The Clinic Gym Hybrid Model, where you integrate fitness with the great care that chiropractic offices offer. Now, I perfected that model, and I sold that business last year. Now I've gone full-time into discovering how to help others build the same model in their practice, and I have the goal of 100 hybrid clinics starting up in the next year. So follow along as we interview the greatest guests, thought leaders in our space here, and discover the ways to perfect this model so that you can run an amazing business that also contributes to your time off, increased pay, and increased fulfillment by doing the care that you truly believe in. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley, and this is Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and it's my pleasure today to be joined by the man, Brett Jones. How are you, Brett? Fantastic, Josh. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Now, Brett, for those... uh, so. I don't know if you know this, Brett, but there is a very, very, uh, how would I say it? In, in chiropractic, we say straight, but um, a very dogmatic chiropractor who believes that the adjustment will release the innate qualities within us. And his name is also Brett Jones, uh, although he's 25 years old and wears a fedora everywhere. Um, <laughs> but for those who can only hear you and not see you, the fact that you're not wearing a fur, <laughs> who you are and what you do so they can delineate easily. Okay. Uh, so to give you the, uh, the long story of me uh, in condensed form, um, I have a Bachelor of Science in Sports Medicine, Master's in Rehabilitative Sciences, um, uh, Certified Athletic Trainer. Uh, certified PhD trainer. from the School of Hard Knocks. Uh, that too. Um, CSCS through the NSCA. Um, I am the director of education for Strong First um, School of Strength, where we teach uh, kettlebell, barbell, and body weight uh, with a strength focus. Uh, I am an advisory board member and uh, presenter teacher for Functional Movement Systems, and have uh, I've worked with Gray and FMS for over 12 years now. I've worked with uh, Pavel uh, for over 16 uh, years now, and uh, been been quite a journey. For those who uh, are, you know, gone to perform better or any of that, I will I'll describe it as this. If you ever see a picture of Gray Cook working with another person on the front of a DVD cover, it's most likely Brett. <laughs> it, it probably is. We had a tremendous run. Um, I had worked with Gray in his clinic uh, and in my training room at Hargrave Military Academy in Chatham, Virginia uh, for two years. This was back uh, 95 to 97. Uh, so we're going back a few years, uh, into, yeah. uh, the history, but, uh, is that how you originally met? It is. It is. So the only two men to own kettlebells in Chatham, Virginia happen to, you know, <laughs> actually this is, this is before kettlebells. This is, okay. um, so, uh, I bought my first kettlebell and, and Pavel, uh, started selling them and teaching workshops in 2001. Okay. I bought my kettlebell in the end of 2001 and uh, then took the second ever kettlebell cert that he taught in the States in February of 02. Wow. So um, I had worked with, uh, I was a, just had come out of being an athletic trainer and was running a hospital fitness center. So for five years, I ran a hospital fitness center in Clarion, PA. And during that time, 2002, got certified and ended up putting out a kettlebell basics for personal trainers and strength coaches DVD. Um, Sure, was it a VHS back then or Betamax? It was, it, we had just come out of Betamax, and it was the new thing was DVD. Uh, so we put out this DVD, and Gray got it. And so oh, wow. somewhere around in 2005, I get a call from Gray, and he's like, uh, where's the fanny pack? Because uh, as athletic trainers, you wear a fanny sure. pack. Sure, required. It, it's mandatory. Um, and uh, really interested in what you're doing with the kettlebells. Let's talk. And so that led to me getting on board with FMS as a presenter um, and also um, the secrets of three of the secrets of DVD series are Gray and I, and that led to the development of the level two FMS level two materials. And so we, our collaboration um, 05, 06 really led to um, a a lot. Uh, We're still unpacking (laughs) the, the material that we put together at that time. So, yeah. Been been tremendous, and without having, you know, having met Gray 
in 95, 97 and gotten started and kind of a different mindset because gray is good for asking those questions and changing mindsets and then getting into fitness and kettlebells. And it just kind of the decisions you make and you just never know because uh, I left, I left uh, Hargrave and Chatham in uh, 97 guy kind of kept in touch and then lost touch. And then all of this stuff happened because of uh, two of my mentors. So, wow. Interesting. Now, how, just out of curiosity, how'd you first hear about Pavel? Um, so a friend, uh, somebody that worked with me at this hospital fitness center came back and uh, he said, you should really check out this Pavel guy. And uh, at that time, Pavel's big book was um, uh, power to the people which was mm -hmm. a very simple deadlift and um, side press routine mm -hmm. and had a lot of information in there that was really, um, really profound and, and uh, heretical at the time because it was certainly an anti-bodybuilding approach and was a very, uh, he was advocating deadlifting and pressing six, seven days a week. Yeah. And that alone, everybody was losing their minds over. Yeah. The, if you violate, I mean, back in the early 2000s, even late nineties, if you violated the rule of legs were one day a week, if you do them, you're going to be right. thrown out of most gyms in, in the world, right? Well, it was much easier to skip leg day when it was only one day a week. You could usually come <laughs> up with an excuse for that day. Um, so I ended up getting this book and, um, really got into it and was doing my deadlifts. And, um, I've, Kind of from a strength perspective, I've been all of the, the, and I'm doing air quotes for those of you that can't see the video. Um, I've been all of the guys that you can be within strength and conditioning. I've been the functional training guy, the power lifting guy, the body weight only guy, the kettlebell only guy. Like I've, I, I, I tend to go down rabbit holes and uh, if I get interested in something, I'll usually do it almost to an extreme. And so I've been all of those guys as over the years. And then when I found Pavel's materials, I really started finding something that allowed me to coalesce a lot of information. And uh, so I had gotten this book, I'm deadlifting, I'm doing my work and uh, the marketing machine kicked in and I started hearing about uh, his, one of his books, uh, Russian kettlebell challenge and, um, and kettlebells. And so I got the book. And a true story, I actually, I got it, I leafed through it, uh, and I put it in a drawer. I, uh, and I didn't look at it for X number of weeks or months. And finally, you know, just kind of gnawing in the back of my head, I, I pu pulled the book back out and I'm like, okay, let's, let's try this. And so he had a recommendation for uh, trying some snatches with a dumbbell because kettlebells weren't readily available yet. And uh, I tried, hooked up a 50 pound dumbbell and did some dumbbell snatches. And uh, when EMS revived me, I said, you know, I should probably get some training in this. And uh, so went to the second ever uh, cert and uh, then started teaching with uh, Pavel in April of 03. And the rest, as they say, uh, is history. So I, I remember I was shown a video of Pavel and I think it was the power to people like I don't know, a DVD that accompanied the book or something. I, I don't, I don't know what it was. All I remember is, uh, first is the, <laughs> I don't, I don't I'm trying to say this nicely. Um, <laughs> in the world of fitness, there's always the uniform that the person chooses will tell you, you could easily delineate back then as to what they are into. So if it was like bike shorts and a tank top with massive, like one of those tank tops where you've removed more fabric than you started with, that's obviously a bodybuilding DVD. Mm -hmm. um, or those crazy pants they used to wear those striped you know the vertical striped pants that bodybuilders wear like the oh yeah and oh then, yeah um and then so anyways I, the, the point i'm trying to make is my brother was showing me the dvd and i was like this is different because he was in pants but they were more like you know sport trousers i don't know what you would call them and no shirt you know and he was going like comrade and he would <laughs> press the kettlebell but they had really good microphones that could hear the the tendons in his elbow, like sounding like a violin, violin strings, you know, just ee, the crepitus was incredible. And I just was like laughing, like, Oh, this is different. Like nobody ever does this, you know, definitely this is at the time. I mean, I took the CSCS. Do you remember those early training videos that were really, really grainy and horrible and shot with like reel to reel or something? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, and so no. seeing this like updated thing and, and he's using this crazy device called the kettlebell and like, I just was so mesmerized by the whole thing. Anyways. So the, the pants were actually Patagonia hiking pants. Okay. 
uh, and I still have three or four pair down in the closet. And, but you're uh, not aware, allowed to wear those with shoes, right? You have to be barefoot. Is that the rule? And we we tend to be a barefoot group. Um, okay. We we uh, un- unless there's a medical reason you have to wear shoes, we usually recommend you take them off. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's interesting. Barefoot training has gained even more popularity. Yeah, and, uh, we we've been doing that for uh, for quite a while now. Um, right. I always thought that gray was super functional by not wearing shoes. But then I realized when I finally went to visit the barn in Chatham, part of the reason is in that area, only half the people own shoes. So it's really not that odd, you know? (laughs) He fits right in. Yeah. It's when we bring him to the big city that it's like, oh, what's this dude doing? So when, when was your first like aha moment? I mean, you were, you know, you've been through every bout of different methods of training. You know, you did the body weight stuff. You did the, the powerlifting, you did all that. But, um, when was your first aha of like, holy crap, this, these techniques or this kettlebell thing, it's different. It's not just a different handle on a dumbbell, right? Like this shit's way different. It was, I mean, really uh, from that first experience of, of trying it with a dumbbell, but then receiving my kettlebell and uh, starting to train with it. Um, I trained for a couple months, went to the February 02 certification and actually at that time, um, through a little bit of stretching information from Pavel, opening up my hip, uh, the anterior chain a little bit, and the combination of good hip uh, extension and ballistics with the swings and snatches, um, I grabbed the rim, um, jumping for the basketball rim for the first time in my life. At uh, what age? I mean, oh, okay. How old 30s? am I now? Yeah. What's, I mean, white uh, dudes usually if they're going to grab the rim, it's around age 19 to 22 and then it slowly declines. But here you were at 32, 31, 32, something yeah. like that. Um, wow. So really just had this massive change. And I, and I was the kid in high school. <laughs> I didn't play basketball for the safety of others. And, <laughs> uh, and I was, that's why they let me wrestle. Um, but uh, you know, I was not, did not have any hops, did not have uh, a vertical leap to speak of. And then here I am, uh, in my early thirties and, um, yeah, cause I'm 47 now. So that, that works out about right. Um, so yeah, it, it really just started unlocking these things that, uh, I had previously not been good at. Yeah. Um, it has a good bit of, un- there's a unilateral aspect, uh, to, uh, kettlebell training with the one arm swings, one arm presses, front squats on one side, especially, you know, you, you buy your first kettlebell, you've only got one. So everything's <laughs> unilateral and stuff like that. So yeah, it, it was, it was right away. Wow. And, uh, did your, did your physique change as well? I mean, cause like that, that's not the point, but you know, when you're working, if people are working with clients and whatnot, there are a lot of people that I've seen the development of a different, more, I would say a more aggressive physique by integrating kettlebells versus powerlifting, you know, powerlifting makes you big, like just big, like mm-hmm. places that you don't necessarily want to be big. Like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, it gives you a second, possibly third chin sometimes. And, you know, but uh, pants don't fit well yeah. because of uh, the thighs and the butt and stuff right. like that. Oh yeah. It's uh, all over the place. Um, I, for quite a few years, I maintained right around 175 uh, sort of body weight and my body didn't change a lot. Um, okay. I've never had a great diet, so I've never been really lean. <laughs> um, so I was, you know, right around the 175 area for a while. And then it, when I really started powerlifting, I started to, uh, I really embraced the powerlifting motto of there's not a sticking point. You can't eat your way through and ended up around 200 pounds, uh, mm-hmm. by the time I was done. And, and, but I had a 518 squat, 573 deadlift in competition and, uh, you know, certainly got strong and, uh, thickened my physique, yep. but, um, uh, I could probably show you a picture of me as a kid from, uh, about 10 years old. And you'd look at the body on that 10 year old and go, that's Brett. So All right. I'm kind of, as, as a powerlifting coach once told me, Brett, you're not built to do anything. <laughs> so <laughs> I've kind of looked the same for a uh-huh. lot of years. Not tall enough for basketball, not short enough for powerlifting, not wide enough for uh, offensive line. Like just, I'm a generalist. You're a general purpose <laughs> kind of guy, right? Exactly. 
And so when you started like at your highest point in your peak physique of kettlebell training, were you still 200? Were you down to 170? Like what? So, uh, powerlifting didn't happen until call it 2006, 2007. So between okay. 2000, late 2001 to 2005, 2006, it, it was predominantly, uh, well, basically kettlebell training and some body weight training. Oh, so the kettlebell was your, your key into powerlifting. It was. Oh, okay. I thought it was the other way around. Like you were a recovering powerlifter. Um, well, your, I've, your I, wife was just like, I'm sick of cooking and, uh, <laughs> you know, washing these clothes with horrible, uh, BO. Like, well, so that, um, yes, kettlebells came first. Okay. Uh, had dabbled in some barbell work, uh, over the years, obviously, uh, yeah, yeah. but nothing that I would consider real power lifting or I've never done Olympic lifting. Was it because uh, of that ballistic strength? Like you said, you could dunk or you could touch the rim for the first time in your life, but I mean, that's an expression of power, right? That's not strength. Uh, you have to be strong enough to express your power. Sure. So strength still sets the base. Mm-hmm. And uh, the interesting thing that we've found in Pavel's new book, uh, which will be coming up soon, uh, will give a lot of information on this. Uh, the ballistic and quick lifts have this really interesting ability to bring both up, uh, both mm-hmm. strength and uh, uh, sure. relative and max strength and power. Um, so, Watch that, a, champion, a chimpanzee swing through a tree and you'll like, that is a incredibly ballistic controlled event. And I don't want to mess with them. No, I outweigh them, but I don't want to mess with them. <laughs> oh my gosh. It is amazing. The, the body weight to strength ratio and, and what, yeah. uh, what they're capable of. So yeah, kettlebells kind of unlocked a lot of uh, strength and power uh, for me. And mm-hmm. when I started powerlifting, um, I had peaked my deadlift in 2003 uh, between 2002, 2003, I'd peaked my deadlift at a pretty good level. Uh, actually, uh, had a back injury and, uh, then came back to ended up having an L5 S1 laminectomy in September of 2003. Um, so I just passed my, uh, 15 year anniversary of, of that. And after that back surgery, I went on to, uh, complete the beast tamer challenge within, um, the kettlebell community, which is the 48 kilo bell for a single leg squat, a pull up and a one arm military press. Mm-hmm. Um, my power lifting happened post, uh, back surgery. So 2005 into 2006, 2007, I started getting back into, uh, heavier training. Yeah. And, wow. Um, AAU nationals, uh, wild world of sports in Disney 2007, uh, 518 deadlift, uh, 570. Uh, I'm sorry, 518 squat, 573 deadlift. My bench was not that good, right around 295 or 300. And um, so kind of peaked, um, had this uh, buildup of strength, suffered a little bit of an injury, which was a bad squat attempt. And now that I understand what I understand about my hips, it makes perfect sense as to why this happened. And I can talk about that um, here in a bit because I've certainly. I've had eight different surgeries in my life. Only one of them was ever exercise related. So I've I've had various things happen that have forced me to start and restart my training at different times for different reasons Mm -hmm. and uh, have learned a great deal uh, about training in that time. So third testicle uh, surgically installed and then removed later when you got out of extreme sports. I can neither confirm nor deny such reports. (laughs) Um, So, you know, the, uh, the kind of the, recovery there and getting back into powerlifting and really becoming obsessed with squatting. Um, that was allowed me, but kettlebell training was always how I, uh, rehabbed or came back from the variety of things that I've had happen. And, yeah. um, some of those things are like, uh, having appendectomy in 2001. Yeah. Um, hmm. had the back surgery in 03. I've had a, a large ventral hernia repair in 2009. Um, so I've got a big piece of mesh and, little metal tacks in my gut and um, surgery for melanoma and um, just d- different things over the years, you know, not really exercise related except for the back. And um, that was a bad squat attempt and really a back injury that I suffered in wrestling in high school. Uh-huh. Always, always wondered why the outside of my right foot would go numb when I drove long distances, you know, just kind of thought it was because I was driving. And sure. uh, so, you know, kind of this, that's a, really convoluted uh, way to answer the question. But uh, the, the, uh, 
yeah, the progression there was, was kind of different. Uh, I had been training then kettlebell training and then uh, barbell, a little bit of an injury kettlebell back to barbell. And so it's nice when people come in to see me or I work with people in whatever instance and they're like, Oh, you know, I, I've had a back injury. I'm like, Hey, me too. You know, I've got L5 S1 laminectomy. I've, I've, uh, I've, I've chewed some of the same dirt that you have. And, um, let's, let's move forward because yeah. you can, you can do this. Cause I, I sustained an injury when I was lifting in college and then just over time, especially last year, I probably had my worst flare up of it. You know, the bed was too soft. So I was floor ridden for mm. three straight days and, you know, like where you're gritting your teeth to go to the bathroom kind of stuff and finally got a shitload of steroids in me and then got a, you know, got an injection and, um, and it helped. But, um, I, what I've learned is for me, like I bilateral deadlifts, I'll wake up the next morning and be, I'll have back pain, like bilateral stance. But if I do the best I ever feel is, is like an RFE type exercise. I don't know why that just works for me, but my legs are strong and I, you know, go for full depth and kind of mobilize my hips as I go down. Like, holy crap, that feels great the next day. Yep. And, uh, that getting over that hump, I think is, is, you know, for the people listening, that's a huge thing. If you can have a training program that prevents people come in with back pain to your clinic, if you can put together a strength program that helps them build resiliency and el eliminate the sore days of back pain, like, you know, they're, they might always have back pain, but if you can keep it to five days out of the, or keep, you know, to three days out of the week instead of five or, you know, you'll be a hero. People love that stuff. Well, the body, um, there, there's a concept, uh, hormesis, uh, where it's kind of like that little dose of poison. Um, you develop tolerance over time. And yeah. so I've seen princess bride. Huh. Exactly. I poisoned both of them. <laughs> you've, you've made one of the classic blunders. Yeah. Um, so you, and, and to the point of what you're trying to do here and the message that you're trying to get out, um, being strong, uh, I know there's a meme and there's always a, there's a meme for everything, but, um, you know, if you think being strong is dangerous, try being weak. Yeah. Being weak is dangerous. And, um, there, there's a lot of different ways that we can talk about that, both from a, just a confidence and how you interact with people perspective, but also from just a living perspective, like being strong. And I think putting some context to that for uh, folks, it, being strong doesn't mean being a power lifter. Mm -hmm. um, you can go watch uh, ballet and you're seeing some incredibly strong dynamic individuals. You can go yeah. watch gymnastics. You can go watch um, martial arts. You can watch tennis. You like pick your pick your version of what strong means to you and cool, be that, go do that. Um, but being inactive and being weak, that will catch up with you. And once you've dug a big enough hole, it can be really hard to, to get out of. So strong is good. Strong is something that's protective and uh, you come bounce back and recover from your situations uh, much better. With you a can say that strength. you want to be strong first. That's uh, it's a concept. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we liked it so much. We made it the name of the company <laughs> and the uh, hair club for men. I'm not just the, I'm not just a client. <laughs> I'm the owner too. I'm the owner. Um, or, or I liked it so much. I bought the company. Yeah. Uh, Remington razors. That's a throwback to uh, that. Some of the people uh, on, the, on the, I thought that was a spatula city on uh, UHF. <laughs> Doesn't he say something like that? Might've been, I missed that one. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, you know, Metviev uh, said strength is a master quality. All other physical qualities are dependent upon it. Um, and really, that's true. Um, you have to have a, a base of strength in order to express power. You have yeah. strength endurance. It's in the name. You have to have some strength to endure with. Um, and so, yeah, setting that quality and understanding that we all come in with our different mileage um you're the pe folks that are listening to this uh, podcast who are in the clinical and therapeutic world uh you've got people coming in that they're there for a reason they're in pain they're, they've got an injury they're having a problem um finding just as you have with rear foot elevated work versus uh bilateral deadlifts 
you find the strategies that help you build strength for that individual in a healthy and safe manner. And then you focus on getting them strong and it does help with whatever situation that you, that you have going on. So along that path, um, I'm interested. I mean, the, 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 so I got out of school in 06. And so I really started in practice 07 and about 08 or nine, I started noticing that like a lot of people that I respected or seemed to have a, you know, like have a, a leg up on society were had these strange letters after their name, which was CKFMS, right? Like it was five, you know, we, we were like the Kings of three letter designation, like FSG, FMS, you know, and then the SFMA came out and it's like, well, it's four letters. Okay. Well, it has to be pretty good, you know, and then there's five letters, but it's, it's like eight minute abs, you know, you, you can't get a great workout in seven minutes, like or what is it? Six minute abs, you can, six minutes. You can't get a good workout in six minutes. No, it's seven minutes. Yeah. Um, so, the five letters, I was like, oh, this has to be crazy because not, not only five letters, there's also a hyphen in there and you know, it's just, what are these crazy people doing? But, um, it was also like this start, the very seed in my mind of this idea of the blended strength and clinical model and this, um, how do I say it? It was a rogue idea for a clinician at that time to advocate a, a ridiculous amount of strength. Like that idea did not exist out there. And it was like, well, yeah, you can be, you know, have rotator cuff strength or you could, your hip flexors can be uh, you know, okay. You know, you can use a TheraBand. That's okay. And, and then I heard people going, no, 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 grab the heaviest freaking thing you can right at the edge of your ability and move it. And I'm like, oh man, you're like, I'm going to lose my license if I listen to you. Like, you know, well, and it was, you know, at that time we started talking about things uh, in reference to the upper body. You know, we were talking about doing get-ups and presses for healthy shoulders, uh, activating your grip, learning how to use your lat within your press and people were like, oh, well, that's not a pressing muscle. The heck it isn't um, when you start looking at the pattern. And so we were advocating um, really and, you know, starting back in 2002 and understanding how to use your breath for both strength and for flexibility or relaxation, how to really use your body as a more integrated unit. How do you feed forward your tension and use the irradiation to be stronger and safer in what you do. And that's, you know, one of our principles uh, within strong first is that we feel um, safety is part of proper execution. It's not something we hope for. We feel that uh, properly executing these moves, implementing these principles and techniques, we, we think safety is part of that proper performance. And then from a lower body perspective, like Pavel was advocating single leg squats and, um, and deadlifts and swings and, you know, all of these things. And, you know, people at the time where it was, it was very, um, I would say, um, different than what yeah. people were used and to. So when you guys started going down that path, just say, Cassidy, were you seeing more clinicians that were like, oh, thank God, you, you're, you're saying something I've always wished was true, but I was scared to say, or were you seeing more trainers that were like, I'm running into a ton of people with the pain or, you know, the limiter is something else. Like I need to understand the, the other side of the coin. Like what were you seeing were the groups of people and the response? Um, I'm going to go all around the horn on this because um, Pavel, one of the things that drew gray to Pavel and ended up merging my two worlds of, of kettlebells and strength and, and gray and FMS was the book, The Naked Warrior. And in the book, The Naked Warrior, what Pavel was advocating was the ability to do a one-arm push-up on each side and the ability to do a single leg squat on each side. And Gray looked at this and he's like, brilliant, symmetry of strength. Like, make sure you can do what you can do on one side on the other side. And, uh, and, and it also and, inherently almost screens out all possible dysfunction that could exist, right? I mean, you have to be operating a pretty high level to pull that off. You're going to have uh, lower body wise, you're going to have good uh, con motor control and mobility through the lower extremities. You're going to be able to uh, tie yourself together and produce great strength through your upper extremities. Do that equally on both sides in all quadrants. So that was one of the first things. And, and in Pavel's mind, like everybody's spending a half hour, two or three days a week stretching, right? Like, Mobility work is just something like he just assumes everybody can uh, or previously assumed 
uh, everybody would move well and uh, of course be able to access the, these things. And mm-hmm. where we had had to go was we, we used to spend a lot of time at certs uh, at our, our kettlebell workshops, uh, getting people to be able to access a full deep squat. Uh, not, not the FMS overhead deep squat, just the ability to kind of access a full deep squat. We used to spend a lot of time. Now we spend almost no time. And I, and I, I actually, and this may be just my uh, grand vision of myself and what we've done, but I, I, I think we are to credit for um, accessing these emphasis on these uh, larger ranges of motion, the ability to control uh, the full range. And then I mean, you hundred percent, like anecdotally, I'll tell you, like if you go into, I remember going to a gym when I was in college and it was rare to see the hip joint at or below the knees. And now if you see anybody, even the old guys that have been lifting the same way for a hundred years, if they're not getting to that parallel or whatever you want to call that below, it, it's strange. And I, I saw it the other day, like two weeks ago. And I was like, Holy shit. Like it just brought back memories of like, Oh yeah. Everybody used to do that. You know, like hell, when I did the bigger, faster, stronger in high school, like you never got your butt too low. Like, no, 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 just go higher, but add more weight. Like that's way better. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's so the, I, I think we've had some impact and I, and I think it's been, it's been positive. And, and so, you know, gray comes on the scene and says, here's a way to set this baseline and make sure that people are moving well. And we have this great strength tool and techniques and, and we can really help people get through some of these barriers and that's how CKFMS came about. And uh, that actually, I'm getting ready to teach it here in a, a couple of weeks. It's, uh, we call it foundational strength now and uh, no longer requires somebody to be kettlebell certified to take it. We've, we've kind of decreased uh, some of that uh, requirement. And so now people can come in and, and really hear what it's like to have the strength message from strong first, but also the movement message uh, from FMS and Gray's, background and perspective has always been in the direction of strength. The, mm-hmm. He's known for the FMS and corrective exercise, but his goal is get to strong. I mean, uh, the FMS is essentially a uh, pre-test, right? Of can mm-hmm. I, can I train you full go, right? right? Like, are you just good enough? Are you adequate enough for me to actually train you at a level where you're going to make some change? So principle number one, move well, move often. And if you peel back the layers on that just a little bit, what we're saying is move well enough to be able to adapt to the stresses you're going to be placed under. And that's a, it's a great way to look at setting that baseline. Uh, move well enough to be able to adapt to the stresses I'm going to place you under because I'm going to put you under stress. Mm-hmm. You, you, you come see me for a training session. I'm teaching you kettlebells. I'm going to put you under stress. Do you have the baseline that allows you to adapt in a positive manner to that? And so for the clinicians that are listening, it's more of an exit interview. Okay. You've done your treatments. They're out of pain or, you know, everything's at an acceptable level. They're going to go back to their lives and train anyway. How do you give them the best direction for Mm -hmm. whether they're going back to their fitness routine or whatever it is? How do you direct them? How do you see how that pain and the situation they just came out of, how did that impact their movement? Um, maybe something that used to be really good, like their leg raise now isn't because they're coming out of a back pain situation or an ankle mm-hmm. situation or whatever the case may be. So, um, it really gives this great, uh, footing for where you're going to program and direct and make sure that people can adapt in a positive fashion to the stress that they're placed under. Yeah. And so you guys were tip of the spear of, of that idea, right? I mean, to Gray, that was just, uh, everybody, everybody should know this. And you said Pavel came in with the idea of like, you, you got to be mobile enough to do this, right? I mean, you got to, you know, so let me train you. But then the general population was not like that. Hey, we'll be right back with our interview. But real quick, I wanted to make sure that you know about our Accelerator program and our Accelerator Light program. Both of those lay out the 42 steps it takes to start a hybrid facility, set up your business model, perform sales training with your staff, and also cover yourself in case of any issue. We have those programs available at our website, clinicgymhybrid.com. Again, that's clinicgymhybrid.com. The full Accelerator program includes building your fitness website, your logo, and a bunch of other time with me. If you're like, hey, I don't want the time. I just want to get up and going. Then you may be interested in the Accelerator Light program, which you can check out, both of which include the 42 high impact lessons to get up and going. And I hope you take me up on that. 
All right, we'll get right back to our interview now. Thanks a lot. Two questions. First, when you when Pavel and Gray got to, together to talk about this, how many days did that initial conversation last? And I mean, like, I could picture them sitting in a bar. I know how Gray asks questions and thinks about stuff. And when he had a brain like Pavel's across him, there's no way he was leaving that conversation, right? So did you close um, down a bar, reopen it, close it down again, and never actually leave, like... Uh, this would have been more like at the beach in Santa Monica. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously, um, it was actually a quicker conversation than you would think huh. because they agreed on a lot. Okay. And so it was kind of just a, uh, a, this great meeting of the minds and ideas. And, but it was like, I think these two things together will be good. They both agreed on it. And then uh, Gray and I worked up the, uh, the, the curriculum and ideas and we drew ideas from people like Dr. Mark Chang and um, at the time, Jeff O'Connor and, and other people that were in the community. And we were able to pull together uh, some really good information on getting people uh, moving better. And, you know, a couple things to, to add in here because beyond the exercise, which maybe we spend a few hours, a couple hours a week doing, um, there's this whole other life thing that's happening. And so we, uh, we understand both FMS and from a strong first perspective that, uh, your nutrition, uh, which includes your hydration and your food and, and all of that stuff, your stress, just work, life, whatever stress, um, uh, the mechanical reality of your body, the biological reality of your body. Um, your breathing, your stress, all of these things play a part and your programming. So you have to look at life and how that is impacting the organism. Uh, mm -hmm. And now you have this environment that you're placing this organism in. And part of that environment is your programming. I was asked on a podcast what my favorite recovery strategies were. I think, I think it's very interesting that as an industry, one of the most popular things right now is recovery strategies. Mm -hmm. Well, my answer was proper programming because if I have programmed myself properly, I should be recovering from my training. If you're always trying to figure out how to recover better from your training, you need to look at your program because you're just overdoing it. You're, mm -hmm. you're trying to do too much in, the, in just the broadest strokes uh, that I can put that out there. Um, so I think that, um, Health, uh, the health part of health and fitness uh, needs to be reemphasized. Oh, yeah, that part, <laughs> that part the, the thing that nobody wants to, to talk yeah. about. Um, you know, you, your, your training should uh, and your lifestyle should facilitate you being healthy. And if you're in pain and you're having problems, you're not healthy. Um, and so step, taking a step back, readjusting uh, the programming is a, is a big deal. And so... Uh, we've had to do that within the, the strong first community and within all strength conditioning communities. I, I, I think if you're, if you're constantly trying to find a way to recover from your training, just change your training. Nah, man, you got to <laughs> buy some other uh, external, you know, electric stim device with a, you know, Theragun and go into some cryo chambers three times a day. Yeah, it's, uh, and hey, um, I, I enjoy hopping in a sauna and, and having a nice yeah. sweat. I enjoy laying down, getting legs up wall and doing some recovery poses and, and breathing and stuff. All that is good stuff. Um, but if that's, if you're always trying to figure out how to recover, I'm going to argue there's a lifestyle uh, and or programming issue that's mm -hmm. making recovery more difficult for you. So mm -hmm. change it. Yeah. That's a good point. It's um, <laughs> one of the funny things about the, the kettlebell is it, it, it simplified a lot of the thoughts I had about training because it's like, just grab this heavy thing and then control that rather than I need this machine, obviously, or device or, you know, blah, blah. Like there, there's so many, I don't know what you want to say. There's so many toys you can play with, but they're like that. They're toys. They, they lose their luster after a while because the techniques developed around them, you know, and you'll see like right now there's some popular things um, that, I mean, there are a lot of popular things that I think they're great, but people get a, a, a quick interest in them and then it fades off and it's really the principles behind them. And 
you know, if we remove all these issues, like you're saying, like, well, if you're not recovering, like start at that first principle, why? It's like, if you're overtrained, there's not enough stuff in the world that'll, that'll help you get over that, you know, or if you're not eating correctly, or if you're not hydrated, like go to those first principle problems, right? And I, I don't know if you've read a, that book about Elon Musk, the, some lady, this woman did a biography of him and he always goes back to the first principle problem. Like, are there batteries that last this long? Yes. Are there cars that can drive with electrically? Yes. Then we can make a car that would last this long. Well, no, 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 you can't. Why not? Well, cause nobody has. It's like, all right, that, that's not a reason. Like go back. Can we get a battery that will last this long? Yes. Then the, all we need to do is focus on making that battery and the rest of the stuff will work out, you know? And it's just like, huh. And if you just strip it away, it's, it's crazy how that works, which is essentially like everything about the functional movement system, right? Is, Strip it away to like, can you move? No. Well, there's the problem. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's it. Well, yeah, no, 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 no. Like, I want to figure out how to, you know, get a full depth uh, squat with a low bar. It's like, it's not going to happen if your ankle doesn't move. Like, you know, nobody, uh, Captain Kirk in ski boots cannot get a full depth squat. Like, period. It's, it's interesting because I, I think that uh, we, we tend to fall uh, or use uh, car analogies uh, pretty often. And so there's a few things that people will say and, you know, if the, they just, you, you should just exercise, exercise, you, you do this and, and the movement thing will work itself out. Well, mm-hmm. the next time something's wrong with your car, just drive it more because mm-hmm. that'll fix it, right? Because if it's, if it's broken or something's not working right, just driving it more will fix it. That's, that's the mindset that you're going under. And people will say, well, you just need to exercise with really good technique and that'll f- clear everything up. And okay, so put a Formula One race driver in your car. Next time it's broken, put a Formula One race driver in your car. There's not going to be any better driving technique on the planet. It's probably still not going to fix the car. All right, they'll a, performance out of it. Like they'll drive it better than you can but it'll still be broken yeah. and it'll still break down and, and end up in a heap. So just take a second. Let's straighten the wheels and make sure that valve is unstuck in the engine. And now you're going to see some really good driving and you're going to be able to get from point A to point B. It's, it's not a, it's, it's as Rob Butler has always said, it's not everything. It's not nothing like it's, this is just move well enough so that you can adapt in a positive fashion to your training. Then you still got to have good technique. You still got to be well-programmed. You still need to watch your lifestyle. Like this is just a, it's just a baseline. And still have as, to move, yeah, move enough weight that it actually will make a change. Right. You know? And then getting strong um, adds this layer of uh, benefit and um, resiliency to your point earlier. Um, that that's really makes a difference for folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Oh, Brett, I love everything that you do. This is, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, just out of curiosity, going back to that first that cert you did in February of '02, mm-hmm. that very first kettlebell cert. Any other people that were in that had that in that cert that have since become prolific writers like yourself, or you know, uh, saw we, and were like, "This is the future." We we had a that was an interesting group. So the, the first workshop, Pavel did 11 people. Uh, the second one that I was at was 22 people. And um, it, there was a, a wide variety of folks there. And uh, a gentleman named Tom Furman, who uh, offers some online training and, and, and lives in the Florida area, um, he's, he's out there and, and does his physical strategies, uh, stuff and, and, and does some really good stuff. Uh, a lot of the early senior instructors and lead instructors within the old RKC program came out of that workshop. Mm-hmm. Um, so that there were a variety of folks. Um, I'm actually the, the only one that's still <laughs> with Pavel, uh, after all those years and, um, other people went different directions with their own either workshops or certifications or, you know, things of that yeah. nature. And, um, so, um, yeah. Well, Hey, it's like, uh, I don't know if, are you, if you probably hate the Philadelphia Eagles, right? I, you know what? I live in Pittsburgh. Really? So, um, I kind of buy, uh, just by zip code, I have to like the Steelers. Um, <laughs> right. but well, I, if you look at, sorry, he's with the chiefs now, Andy Reed. 
Uh-huh. If you look at, he, I think 50% of the coaches, if you include him, no, I'm sorry, 25% of all the coaches, head coaches in the NFL either came up under him or are him, right? So right. literally there's a connection. 25 head coaches in the NFL are from one gentleman, Andy Reid, right? And if you look at that first class of, um, you know, or that second class you took of the kettlebell cert, like from that, seed in the ground we built a tree now that tree has you know gone on to plant other seeds but like it all started there so you definitely know, might call it something else and it's like eh, well we know the roots yeah and that's been you know my my mindset and in, in, in staying with pavel all these years and, and working with him is uh um just been that it's he's been the source of a, a tremendous amount of information and is uh one of the smartest guys in the industry uh, that, that I'm aware of uh, yeah. and has a tremendous uh, knowledge and background and same, you know, same thing with Gray. Gray has this incredible uh, body of knowledge and, and uh, ability to create and, and uh, synthesize information. So I've been incredibly fortunate in my mentors and uh, incredibly fortunate in some of the decisions that I've made to, to just be there. To, yeah. And that's, you know, you never know. You also strike me as an incredibly stable guy. And those two nut jobs, you know, you probably offer some uh, stability. <laughs> They're it's yin yang, right? Yeah. Well, you got to have that. Um, yeah. Gotta, I look at the relationship between Gray and Greg Rose, and it's like you have a an engineer that you know wants it like exactly like this, bang, 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 bang. And you have another guy that's like, do you know where the word engineer comes from? <laughs> it's an old Latin. <laughs> like, like, shut up! I just want the system to work. What do you mean by system? You know, like. <laughs> Definitely. But, it, but yeah. it works perfectly, you know, like it, it just, it, it works perfectly. So definitely what, what shakes out is, uh, is usually very, very good. And, uh, we have, I've just been incredibly fortunate to yeah. have these opportunities to work with these folks and to be given these opportunities, uh, in my life. And so it's, uh, it's been, been quite the trip. That's awesome. Well, I'm, I hate to cut this off cause I feel like we could go for a few more hours here, Brett, but, um, uh, I do appreciate the time today. Uh, I asked you your biggest aha, but if there was one tip, I mean, looking back on the years and the mentors and all that, if there's one tip that you could give people, so they're, they ha- they most likely have a clinic and they're looking to add fitness, both as an idea of rehab, you know, like an idea to get to strength and as a business model and as a offering, um, what advice would you give them? Uh, no pressure. Um, I think it's maybe a different direction. It's um, what do you want the culture of that place to be? Um, because if you can identify your culture, mm-hmm. then you will find the people that will be attracted to it. So knowing your identity, um, opening up a facility, especially in a call it a post rehab situation. Mm-hmm. Opening a facility is not as simple as putting some equipment in a room and opening the doors. You're going to be providing. Many have tried. There's a trail <laughs> of tears along that pathway, right? 100%. And uh, when you look at uh, successful personal training studios or successful group exercise studios or studios that offer both, um, there's a culture uh, within that group and mm-hmm. usually driven by the, the lead person, mm-hmm. whoever's in charge of that thing. And their personality attracts people that like that. And they may not even be doing, you know, the, the best stuff. They may not be teaching the best technique, but they're Mm -hmm. incredibly successful because people like them and they want to be there learning from them, even if it's not the best stuff, because Mm -hmm. there's this culture and there's this environment they want to be in. And so in a post rehab situation, you're taking people who are perhaps going to be afraid to exercise and afraid to move. You need to create an environment that is motivating and positive and protective and gets people towards their goals. And so the, the equipment, the, the what comes behind the why. Mm -hmm. And so the why behind your decision to open up a, 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 a post rehab or a fitness facility based on this, um, that's, that's going to be important. And uh, a friend of mine who has a, uh, one of our strong first accredited gyms in the Baltimore area, um, he's very open about the fact that we are not a physique-based gym. 
If you have a physique-based goal, I recommend you go someplace else. We mm-hmm. built strength. <laughs> and so the, the identity, the message, um, Seth Godin uh, wrote a book a while back called Tribes, and you know, really identifying your tribe and, and um, being able to identify that culture and create that situation that people want to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell, my tra- tell people that I teach and work with all the time, uh, meet people where they are. And you'll be surprised where you can take them. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, some trainers and some people out there want to be uh, aspirational. So they want to put out this image that people would want to aspire to achieve. Um, I don't, I, A, I don't like that. And, and B, I don't do that. Um, I will meet you where you are. Uh, and, and then I, my job from there is to guide you where you want to be or where I think you, uh, the things you need to do and the thing you want to do. Um, so perhaps a different, different answer than you were expecting. But I think that uh, what I've seen over the years in successful studios um, in successful situations is really nailing your culture and your why first, and then people will be attracted to that. I love it. That was a great answer. I have a, I interviewed another guy at the very beginning of my podcast long ago. And he said, his dad would always ask him a, a specific question that he's carried is what do we want to have happen here? Yeah. You know, and it's, it's the same with the culture thing. Like, what do you want to have happen? Like, what are the people you want? What is that tribe you want to develop? Cause you're going to develop it. Like that's, I think that's a part of business that's often forgotten. You will develop a culture. It might just be shitty. Like, <laughs> it might right. not be fun or it might be incredibly. Um, I've been in gyms, like you're saying, like, I, I was visiting an area, went in a gym and it was, you could tell that the idea there was aesthetics, like, you know, and I didn't fit in with my regular t-shirt and shorts. And it's like, and it wasn't comfortable. And now I'm sure for people who were aesthetically driven, it was very comfortable, but you're going to develop a culture. So make sure it's the one that you truly want, you know, and, and be willing to yell it from the mountaintops. Right. Anyways, there's, a, there's, there's a popular chain nowadays. Uh-huh. Um, I, I won't mention the name, but uh, it's a popular chain. Um, they had a great commercial a while back about, I pick things up and put them down. I pick things up and put them down. Yeah. And um, it's, it's a target of some um, not so positive comments within the general fitness world because yep. it's, uh, they have a pizza day and a donut day and a, you know, they do these things that we think are, are, um, not yep. part of a fitness situation. They don't have huge dumbbells in their way area and stuff. Like, So a friend of mine was visiting from uh, Budapest and in the LA area. And he's like, hey, I'm going to go in. I'm going to see what this is all about. So it's like three o'clock on a Wednesday during the summer. Okay. Um, yeah, late summer. Three, two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon. There's about six salespeople signing people up for memberships. They're all with someone and they all have three to five people waiting to sign up. Holy shit. So while to most of us fairly serious strength and fitness people, we look at that situation and we go, oh, that's just, that's awful. That organization has identified a culture and a thing that actually appeals to a lot of people and they're being fairly successful. Now, big box gym is a whole other business reality, and there's a, yeah, there's yeah. a whole thing there. But they, they have a culture, and they're, not, they're very upfront about their culture. And so identifying that early and being able to use that to build your community and your culture and business um, is a good thing. Yeah, that's great advice, man. Great advice. I, I, now that you're saying that I can think of, you know, three or four different stories I've heard over the last few years where people have a, a group of customers that are non, what do I say, non-stereotypical, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at, I mentioned Greg Rose, like back when he's working with golfers in 1996 and seven, nobody worked with freaking, you know, old pale white guys who are overweight working as attorneys, like, you know, come on, come on. Like we're going to have the greatest workout of your life. And like that, nobody's going after that. Right. 
Yep. And back in the day when Jane Fonda started her crazy classes, like nobody was doing that stuff. And then it became a the thing, you know, but. Well, group exercise. Zumba. Shit, Zumba is wildly successful and doesn't fit my model of fitness, but, but I'm not filling stadiums with classes of people like they are. Exactly. And group exercise has this um, people, it's been a driving force in fitness for a long time. Uh, before there was personal training, there was group exercise. Mm -hmm. And so that has been a driving force because people crave this community aspect and this uh, reinforcing aspect uh, to what they do. And on the business side, I think people crave that engagement now more than ever because we live these isolated, you know, I'm staring at my phone in this bubble. And if I'm at lunch with a friend, let's say that you and I go to lunch together you're staring at your phone. I'm staring at my phone. I'm isolating, isolating, isolating. But when you see them, and sometimes it takes like 10 or 12 minutes for this to happen in a group exercise class. When you see them break out of that isolation shell and high five somebody for the first time or cheer or do something different, you see them return almost, almost like a returning to their humanness. And they're like, Oh my God, this is awesome. And, and so from a business perspective today, more than ever, people want to be more cultish because it's the only place they feel like they truly get engaged. There's, there's, there's a, we could do a whole other podcast peeling back the layers on, on that sort of uh, interaction. I'd, I'll tell you two things that as a, as a, as a presenter, but also just as somebody out there in the world interacting with people. Yeah. Um, you want to start seeing some different interaction with people. Make eye contact smile. If you will do that, I, I do this all the time. I do it in, a, in particular in airports hmm. because the person behind the counter or the person you're talking to at the hotel or not the hotel, but the, uh, the, the, the airport restaurant, yeah. uh, whatever the, whatever the situation may be, the TSA agent, I mean, whoever it <laughs> is, when you make eye contact and smile, I have seen reactions from people that, you know, that's the first time that's happened today you know it's the first time that's happened today and that's sad. Yeah. Um, you know, cheers, had it right. You yeah. want to go where everybody knows your name. And so those sorts of, of situations and, and um, God, I went all Bill Clinton hand on you. I started, yeah. you can't, folks listening can't see this, but I, I actually started it's with- the, the almost whole, thumbs up. It's not a full yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, exactly. I, it's, it's the almost thumbs up. That was interesting. But- just start doing that. Make eye contact. I'll be at the grocery store and whoever bags my groceries, um, if it's not me, um, I make it a point to make sure that person makes eye contact with me and thank them. Mm -hmm. Like these, these little things um, are, make huge differences. And in building a business, they can be everything. And yeah. that can be a huge part of setting that culture and being that uh, engaging and um, place where people know they're, they're cared for. Yeah. My, my friend is a chiropractor and he has a little, uh, his office is kind of long and skinny. And so they have a uh, walkie talkies that all the doctors wear with a little <laughs> earpiece. And so his front desk person will be like, you know, after they check in and the person's walking down the hall, he'll be like, Brett Jones, Brett Jones, red shirt, Brett Jones. And so somebody, whoever's next to encounter him goes, oh, hey, Brad, how's it going? Or Mr. Jones, nice to see you again, and shakes her hand. And he said, they did it. And after four weeks, they're, they were like, hey, how's it going? And everybody's like, I don't know if we should do it, man, because everybody, everybody wants to stop and talk to us. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Like, don't, isn't that you want the relationship like you want? Because, but people are so, and he says they're, they're like shocked and blown away. And you don't want to tell them like, you know, I'm hearing it in my ear, but you go up to somebody on their second visit. It's like, Hey Brett, uh, it's nice to see you again. Thanks a lot for coming in. And, oh uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks doc. And uh, I appreciate you guys having me back. Like here they are paying for the visit. They're in pain and they're like, thank you for letting me come back in. You know, and it's just because they made eye contact, shook their hand, used their name. And it's like, it's, it's diabolical. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's cheating it almost, but, but everybody like wins. Everybody wins, and just that, just that simple, uh, which which uh, I like, you know, simple, not easy, right? Yeah. Because um, I don't have a great memory for names, um, 
spot, I have a, I have a great memory for faces. And so I, over the years, I mean, I've taught, I've tried to do the math. I'm probably 300 plus workshops in uh, okay. over the, the, you know, 15, 16 years that I've been traveling and, and teaching. And uh, I'll have people that will be like, oh, is that your workshop in 2005? And I'm like, that was 13 years ago. I, I, I'm sorry, but I don't remember your name. <laughs> I, I, 187 I, workshops of people ago like exactly but it but you know obviously there was a there was some engagement there that led them to remember and just those those brief moments you know they're two probably two arguably two great politicians regardless of whether you agree with them or not regardless of whether you like them or not mm-hmm. bill clinton arnold schwarzenegger they were both famous for remembering people's names. And not only that, but hey, oh, the last time I saw you, your, your mom, she had sprained her ankle. How's her ankle? Like that, that's why they got votes. And that's yeah. why people like them because they're like, he remembered me? Right. And he remembered what was going on with my mom? Mm-hmm. So being, but start with, start with eye contact and smiling. I'll tell you a quick story before when you said Bill Clinton, I had a patient and um, his next door neighbor, I mean, I'm in Las Vegas. And so it's a really small community in the fact of like, it's just, there's too many people, but 2 million people, but there's no, there's no town that abuts us. So this is it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so there was a big fundraiser when Bill Clinton was running for his second term, I think. And my patient lived in the same neighborhood as our, as our, um, as a, the congressman from our town, right? I mean, it's just their neighbors, right? It's a nicer country club area, but anyway, so uh, Bill Clinton's having a, a fundraiser at the congressman's house and then they go to leave and he's the president at this point, right? So all the suburbans, you know, start up and they're driving away. And my, my patient is just walking his dogs at night, taking them out for their last go around before. And he says, he's walking his dogs and you can see it's like a, you know, they got the lights inside. They're not the, the flashing lights. There's no sirens going, but all of a sudden, like six Suburbans stop and out hop these guys and they're walking towards him. And he's like, hey, I'm just walking my dogs here. It's cool, right? And all of a sudden, Bill Clinton, president at the time, runs up and he's like, hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm President Clinton. I haven't met you. I didn't meet you tonight. Like he knew everybody he had met. And in the headlights at night, he's looking at this guy going, yeah, I didn't meet that dude. I better go shake his hand. And he got out and shook his hand and he's like, my patient's like, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you, Mr. President. Like, um, you know, switching the leash from the right hand to the left to shake his hand. And he's like, all right, well, you have a good night, okay? And it was like, <laughs> in Bill Clinton's mind, it was bothering him that he hadn't met one individual on his way out. He's probably late for a flight on Air Force One. You know, it's like, right. hey, stop the, stop the motorcade. I got to shake that hand. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get to meet that guy. And that's... Right the and wrapping this back into the culture conversation like that strategy uh these people are trusting you with their pain they're trusting you with their health that simple little bit of engagement goes miles and then you have a culture that says i'm where everybody knows my name yeah and that those are really successful strategies as a as a uh what do you call it footnote that patient of mine, staunch Republican. And he said, I voted for him that year. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's amazing. The, yeah. the impact and, and to your point of the, you know, the, the social media driven lives and the, the, the disconnected interconnectedness that we now share mm-hmm. via all of these modalities, um, mediums, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, it is amazing. The power of, uh, of humanness. Yeah. High five. Smile. Yeah. Well, I think we've covered all our bases here, Brett. I, I can't imagine some other subject we need to get into. <laughs> well, if we do, it'll be a five-hour podcast, so we should probably yeah. uh, schedule for another one. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank Brett Roll Tape Jones tonight, today for this podcast. <laughs> thank God this is digital. Uh, That's right. And, uh, we can just keep going, but... Um, if people want to reach out to you and find out about what you're doing, what you're teaching, workshops and all that, where can they find you? So uh, strongfirst.com, uh, the forum there, uh, appliedstrength.com is my own website. Um, obviously, I put articles and information up on functionalmovement.com. Uh, so um, those, those three channels. 
And if anybody's interested in that upcoming kettlebell strong first FMS combo, what, what's the story there? So functional movements, uh, .com. Um, it's in Duluth, Georgia, outside of Atlanta. Um, mm-hmm. so it, it's a weekend of, let me make sure I get my dates right here. Um, it is the 16th, 17th, 18th of November. Mm-hmm. So if you get on, um, if, if you get on the website and look for the event list, uh, you'll see November 16 to 18, uh, Duluth, uh, Georgia. All right. And there'll be more next year as well. You think? We'll see. Um, we're looking at, um, maybe changing a couple things. So, mm-hmm. uh, more than likely, yes, but, uh, but we shall see. All right. So sign up for this one. You never know. It might be the last one. All right. <laughs> well, great. Well, Brett, thank you very much for the time today. Um, I appreciate it. And uh, for those listeners, man, this is the guy to follow. He's uh, obviously, as you can hear in this interview, he's got a ton of wisdom. So, Thank you, sir. Uh, it's great to have the chance. Yeah, man. Well, on behalf of Brett Jones, this is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license, and live the life you dream of. Thanks again, Brett. Hey, 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 how about that? Another great interview here on Clinic Gym Radio. Listen, if you're serious about starting up your own Clinic Gym Hybrid, then please go to clinicgymhybrid.com and check out our website there. We also would love to get you involved in our accelerator program, which will walk you through step-by-step the 42 pieces you need to start your own Clinic Gym Hybrid. I'm Dr. Josh Saturday. We'll talk to you later.